As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, hey, you are listening to Intercultured with Anya Dula, and I am Anya Dula. <laughs> so, welcome back to episode three. You've been hanging out with me for a minute. I appreciate it. I appreciate you for being here. <laughs> So episode three is going to be the last of my introduction episodes. I wanted these first three episodes to be uh, ones that will help you understand what shaped my understanding uh, and have been my experiences as a patient, as a nurse in the medical field, and more importantly, I want those three episodes to help shape um, an understanding for you as to what brought me to become a doula and to do the work that I do as a doula. And so the first two episodes were my birth stories, which I absolutely love. Make sure you go back to check those out if you haven't listened. Um, today is a story that is not so bright, but is very important in terms of what we know to be going on in the, uh, in the, in the medical industry right now. And so what that is, is the maternal health crisis that's happening here in the United States. So before I dive into that, because I got a little bit ahead of myself, we are going to jump into our first segment, which is always, what's the goings on? So what's the goings on right now as uh, probably most of you who are tuned into this podcast already know, but we are in the midst of a maternal health crisis here in the United States. And so I, I'll just tell you this about myself and about what, uh, the, what you can expect from this podcast going forward is that I like to think of myself as a person, although I am a nurse and although I am a, uh, by education, a social scientist, and although I am 
now currently working as a doula, I don't talk in stats and figures and percentages and all of the things that most people who work in the medical industry like to define uh, their work by. When I share stories here, I will share the human side of those stories. And so if you're looking for facts and figures and percentages and all of the things that come from medical industry, then you need to go check out the people who like to, you know, give you all of those things. That's not happening here. I tell stories about humans who have experiences, humans and their experiences in the medical industry. So having said that, we are in the midst of (laughs) a maternal health crisis. And uh, what that means for the United States is that of all the developing countries, the United States has one of the worst maternal mortality rates that there is. And so what the maternal mortality rate tells us is of all of the women who are giving birth, how many women are not making it out of that experience, whether it's during their pregnancy, whether it's during their birth, or even for the year following during her postpartum period. And so anytime a woman dies in during that time, that is what increases the maternal mortality rate. And so what we know is as a nation, all of us, so that's all women across the board who are living in the United States, who seek medical care for pregnancy and childbirth in the United States, we are not faring very well to be in the nation that touts itself as having the best (laughs) medical system that there is. It's what we've always known, right? I've been working. I started in this industry back in 1999, 2000 is when I started nursing school. And so uh, all this time, I believed exactly what most of you probably believe in that we have an excellent healthcare system and that it is, um, and that we're safe here. And that if you find yourself in the hospital, that you're going to be taken care of. Now, of course, over those years, I have learned the difference. I talked about it in episode one, the difference between the care that I knew growing up in the military system versus civilian care on the outside. So anyhow, then if that's not bad enough, on top of just the fact that we're all in the midst of this maternal health crisis, black women have even higher numbers. So we know that black women are three to four times more likely to die during that maternal time. So from pregnancy all the way through her postpartum, she's three to four times more likely than her white counterparts with the same demographic. And so that right there is the key. With the same demographic, within the same demographic, meaning they we are counting for same education levels, we're counting for same access to health care, we're accounting for same um, health, like her overall health and well-being. And even when those things match, that 
black women are still three to four times more likely to die during the pregnancy and childbirth time than her white counterparts. And so in years past, what used to be believed, because those numbers have always been skewed, that black women have have had these higher rates than white women, these numbers have always been skewed. But what used to be believed and shared from medical industry and experts and um, you know, all the people who quote you your facts and figures that you that we use to have these conversations is that we were saying, well, you know, it's black women who don't have access to health care. It's black women who are less educated, so they're not taking care of themselves. It's black women who eat poorly, and so their health is bad. And so now we know that those differences, like that those factors are not even factors because when we when they set up the controls to see, you know, these women are the same in every other aspect but race. So what's the problem? And the problem comes down to racism. The problem comes down to stereotyping. The problem comes down to black women are not listened to. Black women are not believed when they are sharing their symptoms. They are often dismissed And so we're going to talk about that today. That goes into into the topic that we're going to talk about. So before I get into the main topic, what I would like to share is the story, um, very sad story, a woman from Milwaukee. Her name is Tashana Ward. Her family lovingly referred to her as Sunshine. She's 25 years old when she passed away at a hospital. Well, she didn't pass away at the hospital. She passed away because she left the hospital seeking care because she'd been there for hours and hadn't been helped. And so in a couple of the articles that I read, Tashana was earlier um, because I believe, so this, this story broke in January but I believe she passed away in September. It was sometime uh, late 2019 when she actually passed away. But earlier in the year, 2019, she was pregnant and she had a baby that did not make it. I don't recall if the baby was stillborn. I don't even know if that if it was said, if that was said in the story But um, I don't know if the baby was stillborn or if the baby, you know, was born alive and then later passed away. But she had that happen. And so Tashana was in her postpartum period when she died. And when she went to the hospital, she went to the hospital because she was having shortness of breath and chest pains. So she went to the emergency room. She called or she texted her mother at 4.30 p.m. and told her mother that she was headed to the ER because she had chest pain and shortness of breath. At 4.58, they, the hospital did perform an EKG and a chest x-ray on her. And what the coroner relayed after her death was that the chest x-ray and the EKG showed that her heart was enlarged. So just put a pin in that right there about those tests being run, because it's going to tie into the to the main story that we'll talk about today. Um, So that was at 458. The EKG and chest X-ray was done. 
at 7.30 p.m., Shauna made a Facebook post about the problems with ERs taking too long and they really need to do something, you know, that it was crazy that she had been waiting so long and she, she'd already been waiting so long and she was told by the staff at the ER that her wait would likely be six to 10 hours. And so at some point, Tashana was afraid uh, and she called her sister and asked her sister to come pick her up and take her to an urgent care center. And unfortunately and tragically, Tashana never even made it to the urgent care center. She died on her way. And so when we talk about these stories of maternal mortality, we read these stories in the news, we hear a story, we repost and we repost. But what I would like to do today is humanize those stories, humanize the occurrences, because it's more than a news blip. It's more than stats and, you know, these facts and figures that hospitals throw out to you and they just, you know, like it's a lot of times when these things happen, hospitals will tend to cover themselves, you know, by throwing out some sort of figures that make it all make sense. Well, you can make anything make sense. (laughs) When you put numbers to it, you can make anything make sense when you put numbers to it. But what does not make sense is that here was a woman who showed up to the emergency room with an issue that warrants by triage immediate care and for reasons unknown because the hospital has done their usual job of sending out their condolences and then hiding behind closed doors. Um, she's gone and her family is missing their piece of sunshine and they're devastated. So that's the conversation that I want to have today. Um, the last thing I want to add to that about, you know, hospitals when these occurrences happen is that it often feels like and looks like and tends to, you know, the when the story is left, seems as though these hospitals don't really have true accountability to the communities that they serve. And so, like I said, it's it's like a hiding behind closed doors. They shut down. Their PR people put out, you know, their we're sorry for the tragic and we send condolences to the family stories. They start having these conversations behind closed doors. But the issue with that is that they are still the ones with all of the power. And so, as we know, in situations where there is a huge power divide between two parties. And especially when one of those power divides is a corporation, because you have to understand that hospitals are corporations. It's what they are. It's, it, we no longer have, 
you know, these goodwill hospitals that Catholic nuns started to take care of the poor and the needy and to make sure that people who were not, um, who were not rich could receive quality care. These are corporations. This is big business. Even the ones affiliated to universities, they are corporations and they are big business. And so when corporations go behind closed doors with grieving family members, there's no real accountability that takes place. And so I just want to talk about it and bring it to light and put it in, you know, just put it in the consciousness. And, and my goal is that in having and sharing this conversation is that you will be better equipped yourself if and when, and hopefully it never happens, but if and when you find yourself in a situation like this, that you will feel empowered enough to to keep your voice loud and strong. And when I say keep your voice loud and strong, I mean, act a damn fool if that's what you have to do. I'm not playing with y'all today. (laughs) So into the main story, let's talk about it. The main story is, it's actually my own story in a situation like this. And, you know, I shared with you all that I grew up in the military system and in the military system, it's very basic. It works like universal healthcare. I mean, it, it, it truly is universal healthcare. Everyone in the military gets taken care of point blank and period. You're in the military, you get sick, you go to the clinic, you go to the hospital. There's, there is an insurance plan and that's there, but, but that does not like no one is denied healthcare, nobody. And so my entire life, I grew up knowing that if we got sick or if somebody was especially ill, I had a brother who had asthma um, as he got it as a baby. And there was never, ever, ever, ever a time that my parents had to fret about how much they had to pay the doctor. There was never, ever a time that they had to fret about whether they could afford the medication that he needed. There was never a time that they had to worry about not being able to go to the emergency room because that copay is so much more ridiculous than going to waiting until, you know, the next day to see your own doctor. And so that was the frame of reference that I had for medicine growing up. And then once I became a nurse and I was working in the civilian sector, I saw the dramatic change. When I first started working as a civilian, I was actually still working in the military system. That's what I told you in episode two. The same hospital that my son was born in was the Army Hospital at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So even once I got out of the military, my husband was still in, and my husband at the time, we, um, you know, nothing changed for us. But then we moved to New York City, And I took a job as a nurse in New York City, and that was when I first started working in women's health, which ah, I absolutely loved it. I just, I started and I was just like, this is where have I been my whole life? (laughs) This is the work I want to do. Prior to working in women's services, I'd done a little bit of everything. 
I was working per diem and I was doing, so I had worked in nursing homes. I had worked as a private, um, a home health pediatric nurse. And so I took care of babies that were born, you know, that were born premature and they had trachs. And so they needed 24 seven care at home. And then I even did a little bit of, um, when I was working at the, the army hospital, when I took that job, I was working on a medical surgical slash telemetry unit. And so I'd done all this other work and, the work was, you know, the work was somewhat fulfilling, but I just knew I was just like, this isn't every time I took on one of those jobs, like, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. And then I got to New York City and I accepted a position as uh, a nurse at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. We were at the Roosevelt Hospital side and I worked in private practice OBGYN for a couple of urogynecologists, but they shared the office space with other doctors who were OB obstetricians as well. And so, um, yeah, that's how I got my start. But that's when I started to learn about the huge disparities that there are in healthcare, especially when we're talking about rich versus poor, um, especially when we're talking about women of color especially, especially, especially when we're talking about black women. And so those are the facts. (laughs) It is what it is. I don't care to break down numbers to you because I'm talking about human beings today. That's That's how we get down on the intercultured with Anya Dula podcast. All right. So, um, so yeah, so I was working as a nurse as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An OBGYN with uh, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. And at the point that this story begins... I had been working with them for two or three years. And actually I wasn't even at Roosevelt hospital anymore. I had, I had left that job and I'd gotten a job as a supervisor, as a nurse supervisor 
for a different group. But um, so anyhow, so the St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital fell under this umbrella of um, like this, basically a corporation that had several hospitals under it. And so we lived, my family, we lived in Brooklyn at the time, myself, my ex-husband and our two boys. And the hospital system that I worked for, both of them, the hospital, St. Luke's Roosevelt, and then the other one that I eventually transferred to, they were in Manhattan. And so I chose the hot, the sister hospital that was in Brooklyn as the hospital that was our family hospital. So our primary care providers and everybody was at that hospital for obvious reasons. When you have kids and my kids went to school in Brooklyn and my ex-husband at the time, he worked nights. So he was home during the day. And if they had, you know, doctor's appointments, so on and so forth. Well, we trusted the pediatrician that we had there in Brooklyn. And anytime my children needed care, and it wasn't even my children, because Jahari was always fine. Bryce, on the other hand, always had an injury. It is it is a wonder that at no point <laughs> the emergency room didn't uh didn't like put a CPS case on us <laughs> because he was a frequent flyer emergency room kid, okay? He was just always hurt, always into something. There was just always something going on with him. But so that was the that was the hospital we trusted. And so when I had this night, this very scary experience, it was a no-brainer to me to go to that hospital as opposed to me going into Manhattan to go to the actual hospital that I worked at because our experience had always been great at this hospital. So this is what happened. I it was a it, it's a Friday night. <laughs> I get off work and I was taking an exercise. It wasn't so it was a belly dance class. <laughs> Just to give you a picture of who I was when I was living in New York City, okay? I was like I'm going to live this life. Like we, we going to live New York City up. So I was Friday night, got off work, went to my belly dance class. Everything was normal. I had a great day, had a great workout session um, on my way home. And when I'm on, you know, when I'm on the subway, we had, I think my subway ride at that time was probably like 35, 40 minutes at that time in the evening. Like rush hour was a different story, but you know, it was probably about 35, 40 minutes and so um, I'm on the train in my workout clothes. My hair is disheveled. I look, you know, I'm sweaty. I probably looked, I probably looked a hot mess, like hot, hot. But <laughs> like, oh, girl, you hot. But I was probably a hot mess. So <laughs> anyway, I, we get into Brooklyn and one stop prior to the stop that I got off, to get home, which was actually on the street that I lived on. Um, I stood up to make my way toward the door and I felt this pop and I didn't really know where the pop came from. I, I just know that it felt like kind of in my stomach area. I felt a pop and then I went faint. And I am someone who I've 
I've never actually fainted in my life. Like I, one time I passed out, but I got hit by a basketball in a basketball game. <laughs> like, but like to just faint, that's never happened. So I nearly fainted. And then I just was overcome with this rush of, I didn't know how, I didn't know this feeling. I just knew it felt like doom and I knew something was seriously wrong and I knew I needed to get off this train. And so I was trying to hold my bearings until we got to the next stop. And then um, people around me, start, you know, they started realizing that something was wrong with me, that I was sick. And so they helped me off the train. They helped me up the stairs. And then someone took my cell phone so that they could call my husband. And so my husband uh, came down the street and got me and then we went to the ER because I was like something's wrong like I feel like I'm dying I was in so much pain I was in so much pain like that pain scale that (laughs) that we're always asking what's your scale one on a on a scale of one to (laughs) ten what's your pain level I was on 25 30 40 like it was bad it was awful and I have a high pain tolerance. I told you guys I had my first baby with no issues, no epidural, no nothing. So we get to the hospital somewhere between about 6.30 or 7 o'clock, um, get to the ER, check in with the nurse. Um, I tell her I'm in pain. I am like physically unable to stand. My husband is holding me up. And then when I went to sit down, like I couldn't even sit down because it hurt so bad. Like my rectum was, it, I felt all this pain in my stomach and in my rectum. It was just, it was so intense. So I couldn't sit. I was literally, you guys, on the emergency room floor on all fours. So on my hands and knees, rocking. So the position that I now as a doula put my clients into <laughs> like that I suggest will help. So that's what I, that's what I was doing in the emergency room. And I can laugh about this now because this was way back in 2006. But at the time it was absolutely terrifying because I knew that I just, I felt like I was slipping and that's the best way I can describe it. It was like, I knew that something was serious, like beyond seriously wrong. So I'm on the on my hands and knees on all fours. The ER is super busy, as most ERs are going to be around that time in the evening. And so I, I'm waiting, and I'm willing to wait, and I understand how hospitals work, and I understand that there's triage, and I understand that, you know, these are the things that I know as a nurse. And I understand that, you know, the, the blanket statement that all ERs like to say, well, if there's a gunshot victim or a stabbing victim, they're going to go before you because I, I got it. I was like, all right, I'm chilling. I'm going to just rock back and forth. And I was crying, whatever. So there were a couple of times that my husband went back to check and ask, you know, am I next or whatever? And they kept giving him that silly statement. And then he came back. And so it's going on probably 10 p.m. when I start to realize that the ER is thinning out. You know, the waiting room is thinning out and there are very few people that are still waiting. 
And so at this point, I take myself back to the to, to the nurse desk and I ask, you know, what's going on? Because I like this is awful. And that I could tell the nurse, you know, I know nurse language. <laughs> I know nurse eyes. I know the I know the tilt of nurses' heads. And I knew that she either one thought that I was faking or she thought that I was like some street girl probably seeking drugs. And so, you know, I'm trying to explain to her the amount of pain that I'm in. I'm trying to explain. I tell her that I'm a nurse, but she already knew that because they had my insurance cards. Right. And also my in, my information is in the system and I, you know, I'm going to say this, I'm a, <laughs> I'm the type of nurse who like does my due diligence in terms of like, like trying to understand who my patients are. And so I look at everything. There is a possibility that she didn't care to look at like, you know, like my history or the, you like inside my, um, inside my file, whatever. But my assumption at that time was that you have to see that I'm one of you. Like I worked in this system. Like I'm a nurse. I'm not a street person. Um, I didn't say those things, but that was, you know, that was the feeling because of what I was getting from her was that she didn't believe that I was truly in the amount of pain that I was in. And so at that point, I go back to where I was on the floor (laughs) and now I start to triage the room and you know I knew at that point around 10 p.m. there were probably only four or five other people but the the two people who were closest to me was a young boy as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who I don't know what was wrong with him. Like, I don't remember. I don't, or what I remember is that I couldn't tell what was wrong with him. So I was just like, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what he's here for, but he seemed stable. (laughs) He seemed stable. 
And then directly across from me was a white couple. And the woman had, she was holding her hand as if she had um, either sprained or broken her wrist or maybe a finger. Like she was holding it very, you know, gingerly and... Her husband was also sitting there in a way to kind of, you know, protect her from bumping it and and whatever. But even as she was holding her arm and hand like that, they were laughing and talking as if things were normal. And so I just said to myself, okay, so I definitely should be called before these two people because I'm in so-called 10 out of 10 pain and they look stable for the most part. Like this isn't necessarily an emergency for them, but you know, they have something going on. And so, so now I'm acting as my own triage nurse, right? As I am in this horrible pain and barely holding my, myself together. And so what happened next is that that woman was called back. And so then I started to lose it. And then my husband also started to lose it because I was like, there's no way she should have been called back before me. There's no way she should have been called back before me. Like she's stable. She's okay. I feel like I'm dying. So I go back to the nurse and now I'm, I'm putting up a fuss a little bit and she gives me the stupid statement again. And then I told her, listen, I'm a nurse. I like, I understand how triage works and I'm actually triaging this room right now. And like, I know I should be back there. I know I should have been called before her. So she rolls her eyes and she's annoyed with me and that's okay. And so um, I eventually am called back to the back close to 11 p.m. So I get to the back and before I even get to like the bed, you know how ERs work where there are like curtains and beds. There's not actual rooms, but there's like curtains between the beds and that's as much privacy as you're going to get back there. So before I even get to my bed section, the doctor who was assigned to treat me that night meets me in the hallway and he starts asking me questions right there in the hallway. And so again, I'm a nurse. I understand how these things work. And I understand that this is highly inappropriate for him to be talking to me in the hallway. However, in the moment, I'm in so much pain that I'm just willing to do whatever, you know, like I'm just happy to have the attention of a physician on me. And I, you know, I think also I may have been thinking that this physician was that he saw the emergency and was trying to get his assessment done, you know, as quickly as possible. Like that, I think that's what my heart hoped (laughs) was, was taking place. So he starts talking to me and he's asking me questions. And of course, one of the first questions that you're always going to be asked as a woman is when was your last period? No, first he asked me, is it possible that I could be pregnant? Because I told him, you know, that I was feeling this pain and where I was feeling it in my stomach and in my rectum. And it was just like so horrible. And he's like, is there a possibility you can be pregnant? And I said, no, there's not a possibility I'm pregnant. And he says, well, how can you, how can you be sure? And he has a very, you know, he has a jovial attitude, but I'm not in the jovial mood. And so I'm just like, (laughs) my face was very much, don't play with me. (laughs) Don't play with me. But I told him, I'm sure I'm not pregnant because I have an IUD 
for birth control. And he says, oh, that that's it right there. That's the problem. I'm sure that's it. And I said, no, that's not the problem. And he says, oh, Miss Willoughby, you don't know. No, he didn't know because he hadn't even looked in a chart or anything at this point. So he doesn't know who I am. So now I have to tell this man who I am. <laughs> so he's like, you don't know these things. I've seen these things do the worst. They just really mess women up. And I bet that's, I'm sure that's what it is. And I said, well, I'm sure that's not what it is because I'm an OBGYN nurse and I have had this IUD in for three years and it's never given me a problem. That's not what the issue is. And so now this doctor and I are standing in the middle of the hallway discussing my freaking birth control. <laughs> And I'm like arguing with him like we're in this debate about how horrible IUDs are or are not. Right. And so I finally said to him, listen, can you just order a CT scan? If you order the CT scan and the CT scan is normal, I will go home and I will see my doctor on Monday. I just need to know that there's not something serious happening. And he tells me, oh, he gives me the whole, you know, you're going to run up your insurance and whatever. You're going to run up your insurance and I don't even think that's necessary. You could just follow up with your OB on Monday. And here's the thing. Even if he thought that it was an IUD issue, like if he thought my IUD perforated something, we still need a test. (laughs) But he didn't want to do anything. So anyhow, I'm I'm bargaining with him to just order a CT scan so I can get the CT scan and I can go home and please give me something so that this pain stops because I still felt as intense as the pain was when the pop happened on the subway. Now I am five hours later and the pain is the same. And so, um, so he agreed, he agreed, he agreed to order the CT scan. He also ordered morphine for me to receive by IV. So I'm, so they put me in my bed place and they give me a shot of morphine and then I'm asleep. I wake up probably around close to two in the morning is when the staff came to get me to go to the CT. So I go into the CT. I'm barely awake for it because now I've had morphine and so I'm no longer in pain. Um, But I still feel something so very wrong. And, And that it just, like I said earlier, like it felt like I was slipping and that's the only thing I could think. I was like something like this just isn't right. Like something is so wrong. Like it feels like I'm slipping. And I don't even think I knew at that moment what I meant by slipping. I just kept saying that like, it feels like I'm slipping. And so, um, so they take me for the CT, they bring me right back and And then I'm, you know, I'm left to go to sleep again. About an hour later, someone came to update me that they were still waiting for the OB on call to come and see me. And I asked about the CT scan and I was told that my CT scan was normal. I want to go back for a second because at the time that he ordered the CT scan, like we'd had our whole conversation and debate in the middle of the hallway. And then I was put in the bed This doctor, not once did he ever 
He never listened to my heart and lungs with the stethoscope. He did not press on my abdomen, like all of the things that would warrant a complete physical of a patient. He did not perform. He never, ever, ever touched my body. We'll come back to that again. So I was told around three in the morning that my CT scan was normal. At that point, the medicine is wearing off. I'm feeling the pain again, just as intense as I was feeling it when it first happened at six or so in the evening when I was on the subway. So they give me another dose of morphine. I go to sleep again. Um, when I am woken up again, I was told that a nurse practitioner was coming to get me since the OB on call couldn't make it to me. And so I said, that's fine. I'm fine with that because as you know, I had a really great nurse practitioner for my second pregnancy. And so I was just like, I'm good with the nurse practitioners. Somebody just tell me what's going on. So she pulls me into some other room. She tells me she's going to perform an ultrasound. I said, okay, great. She performs the ultrasound. And then she says, and very enthusiastically, oh, I see what's going on. And and this is a black woman too, by the way. And also the nurse at the ER desk, it was also a black, well, she's a black Latina. So I just want to put all of these things into perspective as this, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. You're, you're going to hear all of it in a second. So, um, so this nurse practitioner, you know, she enthusiastically says, oh, I see what's going on. I see what's going on. And I'm, you know, I sit up. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay. What's going on? And she says, it looks like you're ovulating. <laughs> Y'all, I lost. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My shit. Like, lost my shit. All on her. And I screamed at her, I have not been in this ER on my hands and knees for you to tell me that I'm close to my period. I know what my cycle is. I know exactly where I am in my cycle. This is not ovulation pain. 
there is something wrong with me and y'all need to find it and you need to fix it. But I yelled like I was not as calm as I sound right to you right now. (laughs) And so at that moment, she pretty much was over me as much as I was over her. And she told me, I'm going to write a script um, to cover you in case you have an STD and you can just follow up with your doctor on Monday. And so this is at six o'clock on Saturday morning. I've been in this ER for 12 hours and I am still as bad off as I was when I arrived. But now I have a prescription for STD medications that I don't need. (laughs) It was very much, um, it was to be ugly. It was definitely to be ugly. It was, again, a stereotype. Um, It was absolutely dismissive of everything that I was experiencing. And so it was a slap in the face to be given and for my husband to be there (laughs) with me the entire time to be given prescriptions for STDs. Like it wasn't even like, we'll give you a referral to um, a gastroenterologist. It was, there's nothing wrong with you. Get out. So we left the emergency room and I, and we got home and I just climbed into bed and I felt defeated and I felt played um, I was angry, but I was just like, I just, I'm going to just go to sleep. And my, uh, my husband was very, um, he was upset and he was absolutely concerned because by that point I was sweating profusely. And so, you know, he just kept saying, I, you know, let me just take you to another hospital. Let me take you to another hospital. And I was so angry that I was just like, I don't want anybody else to touch me or look at me. I trust my doctor. I'll show up at my doctor's office on Monday and we'll figure it out then. For now, I'm just going to go to sleep. And that's what I did. I slept that entire day. Like I slept the entire day. And so my husband had to go to work that night. He worked, as I said, he worked overnight. And so, you know, it was myself and the boys at the house and he kept checking on me and just kept, you know, before he left for work, he kept saying, you know, are you sure? Are you sure? Because the thing about his job, so he, um, he works as a medical technologist. And so where the laboratory that he was working in, he didn't work at a hospital laboratory. He worked like at an offsite laboratory. So like for, you know, like quest diagnostics and, um, what lab core, it was something like that. It was a lab like that, um, in New York. And so, um, which, and his lab was in Queens. So, you know, just to give, so that you understand like travel times and all that. So he was really concerned that once he got to work, I wouldn't be able to reach him because they were not allowed to take their phones into the lab with them as they worked. And at night they didn't have someone like manning the phones to be able to answer. And so it was kind of like once he went to work, like he was in a dungeon and there was no reaching him. So he was really worried, but I just kept telling him, just go, 
I'm fine. Like I was being, I was being so ugly. I wasn't being like, I was just angry. Like I was just furious. I was furious at the way that I had been treated because I knew that I deserved better than the treatment that I received. And I just knew I wasn't up for it again. I wasn't willing to go through it again. So anyway, he goes off to work. Um, he probably left, uh, I think he had to be at work at four. So he, yeah, I think he worked four to midnight at the time, three to 11 or four to midnight. So he left and I'm in the bed <clears throat> and somewhere around 6 PM, the phone rings. I look at the caller ID and it's the hospital that I had been at the night before. And I almost didn't answer, but I answered and I answered and there's this, um, this doctor, it's a woman and she's speaking. Like I can tell she's trying to be calm, but I knew like I heard the urgency in her voice. And so she was trying to, you know, like not alarm me. And so she was like, you know, Miss Willoughby, we, uh, we know that you were here last night and how are you doing? And I just, (laughs) in my way was like, I'll follow up with my doctor on Monday. (laughs) being an ass. I'll follow up with my doctor on Monday. And she said, well, Miss Willoughby, there are concerns. Um, is it possible for you to come back to the hospital now? And I said, no, I will follow up with my doctor on Monday as I was instructed this morning. I have my STD meds. Thank you. And she then um, just, she then got to the point and she said, Miss Willoughby, you can't wait until Monday the radiologist has just read your CT scan and your appendix is ruptured and there is poison all over your abdomen. You have to come back to the hospital. You have to come back to the hospital. Now, when you get here, we are likely rushing you into emergency surgery. So then I'm frantic, obviously. And I was just like, are you effing kidding me? (laughs) Are you serious right now? So now I have two young kids who were in our apartment that I'm about to leave. I'm trying to reach my husband, but I know that I can't reach him. And, you know, no one's answering the phone at his job. So I leave a message on his cell phone, hoping that like he'll go on break at some point and check his messages or like, you know, like thinking that he'll go on break and then call and check on me. And then... I had to, we lived in New York City, but I had, um, like, our family, like, my husband's family lived in Staten Island, which is, you know, some ways away, and then I just couldn't even think. Actually, like, that, it doesn't even matter. Like, I couldn't think. All I knew was call my husband, let him know I'm headed back to the hospital, and then I called my dad because my dad is my next of kin, and so I called my dad, and... You know, I'm like frantic on the phone with him and like, I'm, you know, I'm just like, I'm going to get a cab, but the boys are here and I don't know what to do. And so my dad calls his cousin who lives in Harlem (laughs) so that his wife can travel all the way from Harlem with her children. And she had three or four at the time. And so, huh, all of this is happening. (laughs) All of this is going on 
And all I know is I get in a cab, I get to the hospital. So one of the things was, so what the doctor told me before we hung up was she said, give them my, tell them Dr. So-and-so called you. When you get there, go straight to the desk, tell them Dr. So-and-so called you. They're going to know that we're waiting for you. Don't wait. Tell them to bring you back straight away. So that's exactly what I do. I go to the ER, I walk to that desk, the same nurse that was there the night before is at the desk again, I say the words that I was told to say, Dr. So-and-so told me to let you know that they are waiting for me, and she tells me to have a seat. I told her I'm not going to have a seat, and she tries to dismiss me again, and I told her I am not having a seat, go find Dr. So-and-so, because she told me And I'm trying to, I was trying to tell her about my CT scan and she starts giving me that dumbass, stupid statement about gunshots and stabbing victims. And so I lost my shit with her too. And I told her, I don't even know what I told her. I know I was yelling and screaming and, and, you know, I was like, I don't, care about a gunshot victim or whoever I was just like angry and so I was like you need to go find them and so she called the security guard and then the security guard is this big old huge you know Suge Knight looking dude and he turns around (laughs) he turns around and he starts coming to me and again you guys I can laugh at this now but at the time like this was all very real and I was extremely afraid that I was like going to drop dead at any moment. So just keep that in mind. Like I'm laughing now because it's this many years later, but in those moments, like I was extremely afraid that at any moment I was going to drop dead because I know that people, when their appendix ruptures, like that happens, like people's appendix ruptures and moments later they are dead. And so this, and then the fact that this doctor was just like, so adamant and urgent that I come in. So anyway, Suge Knight security guard turns around and starts walking toward me like he's going to do something. And I walked right up to him and I put my finger dead between his eyes. And I told him I didn't give a damn about his size. He better turn his ass around and go find Dr. So-and-so before it all got buck in this emergency room. So... Sidebar, if you have never met me in person or if you've met me and you know happy Anya and sweet Anya and I am all of those things. But Anya is also about that life when it comes to her life and her children's life and her family and friends life. And so I don't play. (laughs) That's what it is. And I don't care the size like I'm not afraid of a person. And so Suge Knight security guard did not scare me. And in fact, Suge Knight security guard did exactly as he was told. And he turned around and he went and found Dr. So-and-so. And then they came and got me. And so I go into the back again where, you know, and so now there's a whole team of doctors, right? There, there's like six doctors standing around me. They put me on the bed. 
there. Everybody has their stethoscopes out, right? Like everybody has their stethoscopes out. Everybody's asking me the same questions all at the same time. Like now all this attention and like hands touching my body that was so absent the night before. And um, I kept saying to them and I was just like crying. Like once I actually got in the bed and they were looking at me and talking to me, I started crying because, and I was just like, nobody, nobody examined me last night. That's what I kept saying. It was like, nobody examined me. Nobody examined me. And so then one of the doctors does the classic push your belly in and the rebound pain that is indicative of a um of a ruptured appendix occurred and I damn near jumped off the table and so it was like even if that doctor had done that if he had just pressed on my belly honey we wouldn't have had to have that expensive CT scan that he was so worried about my insurance being upset about like if he would have done that we would have known in a matter of minutes what happened to me and things would have been fine and so they do that. I'm crying. I'm, you know, telling them that I can't get in touch with my husband and I'm afraid. And, you know, they're talking about rushing me to surgery. And Joe Schmo doctor from the night before waltzes his silly behind into my curtain area talking about Y'all, like, I wish I could be making this up right now. Like, I wish I were giving you a sitcom story. But this was my real life. Like, this actually, truly, factually happened. This happened. It's real. And I know I'm not the only person that think these things happen to. And that's why I'm sharing. And so um, he bounces his silly self back into my room or into my little curtain area. And then has the nerve to make a joke talking about Miss Willoughby, if you're going to be here um, so frequently, because clearly no one clued him in. (laughs) No one clued him in to the fact that he missed the whole ruptured appendix. And so um, he made some joke about, you know, if I'm going to be here so frequently that that they should probably start paying me. And he got cussed smooth out. And I told him, that he did not believe me and that now I am probably going to surgery all on my own without the support of my husband because he didn't pay attention last night and because he didn't believe me. And then he stood there trying to make his excuses and whatever. And so what wound up happening is they'd made the decision that because my entire abdomen was filled with the fluid that, you know, is inside of your appendix. And that is what it, you know, it causes you to go into sepsis because it's poison. And so um, they decided that that would be the worst thing to do is to perform surgery on me. And so what they did was just started me on this very heavy course of IV IV antibiotics And I just had IV antibiotics running basically 24-7 for like three days and then down. And so anyway, I was in the hospital for a little over a week. And then I went home 
and I had to be on oral antibiotics for about three months and I had to keep going back to have these scans to make sure that everything was, that the, the amount of poison that was in my abdomen was shrinking. And so we're talking about, you know, this became a course where, you know, the typical course of a person has a ruptured appendix and if they make it to the emergency room in time, surgery is performed and, and it's done. It's not a done deal, but you know, like that's that it's done. But now because my care had been so delayed, this becomes a stretch of six months of antibiotics and going back and forth to the doctor to make sure that I, um, that this poison is reducing and, um, and that was that. And, you know, the thing is, is that I obviously at this point and, and obviously at the end of that situation was very grateful that, I didn't turn out to be one of those stories in the news where black women go to the ER and they're not believed, especially if they're homeless black women, that they are, they are like, not even that they're not believed, but they are fought against. They are actually physically removed from the emergency room and die right outside of the doors that they were seeking care at that black women who have babies and then go back to the hospital and complain of shortness of breath and chest pain are given an X-ray and an EKG, but no one ever reads it until after she's dead. And then it's like, Oh, that black women who are postpartum in the hospital, actually in the bed receiving care, but bleeding out and forced to wait because there's not enough of whatever or because there's nobody there who can run the test. That black women who call for call 911 for emergency services and then the ambulance shows up to her house and tells her well actually you look fine and you don't want to pay such a high you know bill for this ambulance ride and then they leave and moments later she's dead in her mother's arms so I'm grateful. I am 100% absolutely grateful that my story leads me here to share with you as opposed to it having been some short blip that would have been in the news and a hashtag and circled around Instagram and Facebook and Twitter for maybe a week. But then my children left without a mother to see them through their lives and their dreams.
for my parents to be able to realize me, see my dreams for my friends, for us to celebrate all of the celebrations that there are to be had. I am ever grateful. But what I hope you understand about that story is that the only person that night who was working to save my life was me. I was the only person. If I had not bargained for that CT scan, it wouldn't have happened. And I surely would have died in that bed before my husband came back home from work with my children in that apartment. And that's just the reality of what would have happened had I not fought for myself. And so what I began to ask myself after that happened was, what if I didn't know? What if I did not know? And not only what if I did not know, because I know what would have happened to me if I didn't know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But then I wondered how many women don't know. Like, what happens to those women? Well, those, the, all those stories I just ran down the list, that's what happens to those women. They die. They're ignored, they're pushed aside, they're not believed, they're stereotyped. It's decided that they have an STD. And so, and it was that, that, like, that was the thing that really got me was like, so you think I have, you think that my IUD is perforated, you think I have an STD, but you're still like reluctant to give me care. And then you only give me care because I've pissed you off. And so when we're talking about these, when we're talking about these situations, right? Like I had the knowledge. I had the knowledge. Also, I had the wherewithal. Because here's the other thing. It's really flipping hard to triage yourself in a room, in an emergency room as you're actively dying. 
And that's what was happening to me. Every time I thought to myself, I'm slipping, like something's wrong. I'm slipping. Something's wrong. I was dying. I was literally piece by piece, bit by bit, dying that night. But I had to have the, like, I had, like, I was fighting. Like, I was like, I got, nobody else is trying to figure this out. I got to do what I got to do to figure this out, right? Um, but that's hard to do when you're the sick person, when you're the vulnerable person, when you're the person in agony, when you're the person who's actively dying, it's really hard to look around an ER room and decide who should be the priority. And no one, no one should ever be expected to do that. One of the things that days later, like once I had been on these antibiotics for a few days and these doctors felt like they were in the clear. Y'all, I worked for the medical profession. (laughs) I worked for the medical profession for a really long time. And when I tell you about abuse of power and when I tell you about gaslighting and when I tell you about the way that they will CYA themselves and each other till the end, because there was a group of white men who had the nerve to stand over me as I was receiving my umpteenth dose of antibiotics, sick in a hospital, I should have been at home with my kids. They had the nerve to stand over me and tell me, well, Miss Willoughby, you know, you really didn't give us good symptoms. There was no way we were going to know. You kept saying that you felt rectal pain. And that's not normal for a ruptured appendix. And so I had to look at that fool in his face and say to him, I told you exactly what I felt. I told you exactly what was happening to me. I told many people that night exactly what was happening to me. The failure is on the doctor who decided to never examine me. That's who failed in this situation not me. And so that's why I'm talking about this because you have, you have to know if you don't ever take anything else from me from this podcast, if you never hear another word after this story, from me, you have to know that you have to fight. You have to fight. You have to speak. You have to scream. You have to kick. So what if they think you're ghetto? So what if they think your husband is a thug? So what if they think your mama is crazy? Fight, yell, scream. Fight, call 911, be in that hospital bed calling 911. Call the police. (laughs) But you have to say something because they will let you pass away. 
they will let you pass away. They will let you die on their hands. And then they will turn around and blame you for why you died. That's what I learned that day as that man stood, had the nerve, had the gall of whomever to stand there and tell me, (laughs) to allude to me that this might be somehow my fault because I didn't give them the classic textbook symptoms that their basic tales studied in a damn class. And not that I showed up as a human being in need and that their people refused me care. They will let you die. And then they will turn around and tell your family that it was your fault and then offer condolences. You have to fight. You have to speak up. You have to scream. You have to yell. You have to look at the Suge Knight security guard like you will kill him if he doesn't make a move to go find somebody to help you. That's my story. That is why I am a doula. Because when I learned about this maternal health crisis, and especially when I learned that black women were being, I want to say being killed, but I know that that would not be accurate, nor would it be fair of an assertion to make, but that black women are being allowed to die without much assistance, if any at all. I was like, I've got to join the fight on that side. Like, I can't, I can't be in this anymore. I can't justify working for these systems that nearly killed me and killed all these women or allowed these women to die and then sit back and wash their hands of it and throw a few bucks at your family and, um, and act like it's all good. Um, you have to fight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any other way to say it, but to tell you, to tell whoever's listening, and then you need to go share it. And I'm not, I do want you to share my podcast. (laughs) So let me like, I'm not even going to act like this isn't a shameless plug, but, um, share this story. Seriously, share this story with everybody that, you know, like share this story with your family, share this story with your friends. If you know somebody that's in the hospital right now, you call him up, you call her up and you tell them, girl, if they're not listening to you, you better, you better fight. <laughs> you better scream. You better make a noise. You better throw something. Listen, 
you have to fight for your life because that's what you're fighting for. Like you're not fighting to be heard at that point. So let's be clear about that. Like this isn't about they're not listening to me. This, that's not what this is. You are fighting for your life. And I would much rather you act a fool and be labeled ghetto and whatever. But in the end, you find out that you saved your own life. So that's what I want for you. That's why I'm sharing this story. That is why I became a doula so that I can teach women and their families how to advocate for themselves so that I can teach women and their families that they do have power in this situation against these doctors. Um, I don't even want to say against these doctors, but you just need to understand that your power is just as much as theirs. You have to know that. You have to know that what that what you say can lead the next move just as much as what they say. You have to know that. You have to know they're a corporate, they're a business. The same way that the restaurant down the street doesn't want you leaving bad reviews all over the internet because they want people coming back so they can fill like fill their pockets with your money. The hospitals are the same thing. Stop thinking that they like that they're up here for charity. They're not here for charity. That's not what this is. Like we are not in little house in the prairie days where the good old doctor comes by with his hospital bag to make sure that that's not where we are. Doctors are not your friends, like unless they're your actual friend, like y'all go to dinner together, they come over to your house, you know their children's names, and they're not your friends. This is not, I, I don't, I just, like the illusion has to stop. This idea that like they're all of goodwill and good faith. And I'm not saying that they're not or that the most the majority of them are not of goodwill and good faith because there are a ton of amazing physicians and I've worked with so many of them. And so, you know, like there's a tough line that I straddle because I know that they are out there. But when we're talking about your life on the line, you better act like that's the enemy. You better act like that's the enemy and you are fighting your way through enemy lines to make sure that you can make it home to your children so that you can make it home to your family so that you can make it to your future and to your destiny to live out. I'm preaching. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Do you get it though? Do you understand? I really really, really pray and hope that you do. And I hope that, I hope that you never find yourself in this situation. And the truth of the matter is that the majority of us will not. Like we're gonna go to doctors and be taken care of just fine. But if there is anything in your gut that tells you that something is wrong, you better believe your gut. You better believe your gut. And you certainly 
better not believe a doctor who hasn't even taken the time to do what he's paid to do in there wearing a white coat and don't even bust out a damn stethoscope. Crazy. All right, y'all. I took a little breather. (laughs) And now it is time for What I Love. All right, y'all. Woo, that got hot. (laughs) Told y'all I was hot. (laughs) Anyway, all right, time for the final segment. This segment is What I Love About. And the What I Love About segment today is What I Love About Being a Doula. So this is what I love about being a doula. I absolutely absolutely love the idea of helping people understand their power. I love the idea of helping women know their power, like find their own power to understand that their power is equal to that of the medical establishment that stands before them and that they can have their word and have their say and that they will be active participants in their care. More than that, I love that I have the privilege and the honor to be invited into such a transitional moment in their lives that I have the honor of being invited to be a guide to them, that I have the honor of being there when a new life crosses that plane into our present moment. And that a life that was not there, you know, 11, 12, 13 months before that I've been a part of their journey together. That is... That's what I love most about being a doula. I am humbled by the decision that these families make to have me be the person that um, that accompanies them on this journey. And so I always am grateful. I always am mindful of what my position is in those moments and it's it's really it's been such a thrill it's been a thrill and every single birth has been completely different from the next and every family obviously has been completely different from the next so it never feels like I'm doing the same thing over and over again there's always a new circumstance and 
maybe a new, you know, a, a little problem to figure out or just guidance to give and questions while there are so many questions that are the same, there are just as many questions that are different and so specific to her or to them as a couple um, or their family. And it's, it's, it's the highest honor right now. I'm just grateful to be able to be there. And I'm also from my own standpoint um, in doing this type of work, so happy to be able to make a living and it, sh- it gets shaky sometimes. <laughs> so know that like getting used to entrepreneur life is like, whoa, <laughs> but, um, but I've been, I've been carried. I have been taken care of. Everything has worked itself out. I have been able to maintain the lifestyle that my children and I were living before. We've made some sacrifices. And I want to just point out too, like my children have sacrificed things that are because of my decision. But what I think I understand about them is that they know that for my peace of mind. And that's what I had to come to know for myself, for my own peace of mind. And for me to be able to continue doing this type of work, helping women, the way that I was doing it in hospital systems and in, you know, these private practices that are attached to university systems that I'm able to pretty much do, you know, the same amount of education and and I'm actually able to offer far more support in the role that I have now as a doula than I was um, working as a private practice OBGYN nurse. And so all I can say is that I am ever grateful and ever thrilled to hear the call or to know that, you know, it's go time. <laughs> baby so-and-so is on the way and, and to be there in the moment and be fully present and, and just, you know, get to share, get to share my love of this work and, and get to share in the love of their family unit, you know, that is such a special place to be. And so that is what I love about my job as a doula. I want to end this episode um, just sending a tremendous amount of love to the family of Miss Tashana Sunshine Ward, who was needlessly lost last year. And I hope that her beautiful soul is resting in peace with the baby that she lost earlier that year. I hope that they are at peace. I'll check y'all next time. Talk to you soon.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.